I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain to pray by himself. And when evening came, he was there alone. This he is Jesus, by the way. (laughs) A lot of pronouns. Um, He went, um, when evening came, he went there to pray alone. But by the time the boat, by this time, the boat battered by the waves was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When you got into the boat, the wind ceased. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, Well, I figured today that we would start off with doing just a little bit of um, review and extra knowledge about the Enneagram before we jump into the six, um, because y'all keep asking me lots of questions about these wings, and, and so 
might as well kind of clarify a few things, and it's not going to tell you everything, but it's a couple of the core things to know about the Enneagram. So I'm going to kind of move aside so everybody can see the screen here. Um, so we have the, this is that symbol for the Enneagram, nine numbers, um, and I change it to the, um, from the investigator to the observer. I, there are lots of words that you can use for all of these categories, depending on who is talking about the Enneagram. They use different words at a time. I liked these all but that one, and I, I wanted to change it to the observer, um, but all the same. Uh, we've talked a little bit about this, but I wanted you to see it. You keep hearing me talk about the heart triad that we just left and that they're all motivated by shame, that deep down in them, it's the sense of shame that kind of rules them. We're now into the head triad and down deep there is this consistent sense of anxiety in the head people. And then we were with the one, it's the gut, the instinct um, we had the one, but we'll get back to the eight and nine soon. And um, down deep, a lot of their actions have to do with um, some underlying rage and anger. Uh, so if you're the heart, shame, um, feeling triad, you're, you're interested in, you're, you're kind of ruled by self-image, you're past-oriented, something happened in your past related to shame that shamed you, and then you start asking, if I, if I don't do this, will they love me? If I don't do this, will they love me? It normally has a lot to do with your past. Um, they seek attention, and the ego, when it comes out in a two, three, or four, normally comes out um, to cover up your shame. Thinking triad, anxiety and security issues. They're future-oriented. They're always thinking about what might happen down the road. What could happen if I don't do this? Um, they seek security and the ego defenses, when their ego comes out, it's normally motivated by some kind of underlying fear in them. And then finally, um, the gut and anger, um, the instinct triad, boundary issues. Uh, and they resist the present. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get there because I can't explain that right now. And then ego defenses are brought up as a result of an underlying anger. And we'll talk about that when we get there too. I didn't talk about that with the one as much. Um, the wings, so we have wings. So each one of them, so a one, one wing nine, I wanna call the idealist, one wing two, the advocate. There are different, they look different. And so you may be a one, but you're not like another one. Um, so if you lean a little bit more nine, tend to be cooler, more relaxed, more introverted. If you lean more towards a two, you're more critical, fiery, vocal, action-oriented. If you're a two um, and you are leaning towards a one, you're going to be more objective, more self-critical. If you're a two leaning towards a three, you're going to be more like the hostess, the popular person, a flatterer, ambitious, outgoing. Threes, if you lean more towards the two, um, you're going to be more encouraging, more sociable. You're nicer, generally. You're a nicer person. Um, if you're three-wing four like me, you lean more towards the work and the success, and you're sensitive and you're pretentious. That's me. All right. Um, if you're a type four, uh, with a, um, with a three-wing, you're more ambitious. Um, you're probably a little more, more driven, concerned with image. If you're a four with a five-wing, you're more uh, intellectual, bohemian, eccentric. Those are your eccentric fours. So fours may look different. When I was talking about the, the four that, um, that is interested in you know, weaving a camel a shirt made of camel's hair, that might be more of your bohemian four. And then five, I couldn't find the same image. So five, I'm, I'm going to stop here. But 
You have the problem solver that leans more skeptical, cautious, tends to be introverted with the five wing six. You have the um, five wing four is more sensitive, empathetic, withdrawn. Um, they're a little bit more creative. So they look a variety of ways, all right? So as you're figuring that out, doesn't mean that as people ask, can I have a wing across the spectrum? Can I be like a five wing one? No, you cannot be. But doesn't mean you don't have high one. It doesn't mean that. So I'm going to talk a little bit today. I told you my husband was a one. He's not a one. He's actually a six wing five, but has a lot of one, high one in him, but he's six wing five. So you'll see when you look at it, there's going to be one next to yours that's a little bit higher than the rest. And that's where you lean. And you can also read these descriptions, which I can post in a place on our website soon that can help you through that. Um, and then this is the last thing. The Enneagram is not meant for you to, un to hear what you are and then stay there. The point of the Enneagram is to move towards growth and to know when you're unhealthy. So you hear me talking a lot of times in our sermons, when you're an un unhealthy one, this is what it looks like. When you're a healthy one, this is what it looks like. There is a number on this spectrum that it wants you to lean towards. So as a three, I'm never going to be a six. You see where the three is? I'm never going to be a six, but I should lean towards being a six. See the lines? In growth, a three moves towards the qualities of a six. If I can try to embody the, sixes, the ways the sixes function around me, if I try to lean towards those things, I will be a healthier three because of that. Over here, a three, when under stress, goes towards the nine. It's good to know for me what I do. I become, I become more um, lazy. I, become, I, I lean towards stressed categories of the nine, the things that nines are when they're at their worst. I can lean towards that. And so it's, it's taking you out of your unhealthy stage and into your healthy stage. There's growth and stress points, and you want, they're all integrated. They're all integrated. That's all I'm going to tell you today on those things, okay? Do you feel like you know a little bit more? Hope, hopefully. All right. Today, we are talking about the six. Um, and we're going to take a look at the six through the lens of the life of Peter. Peter is one of the most important and amazing people in all of Scripture. And there are countless stories we could use for Peter. So many. He's in all the Gospels. He's in the book of Acts. He's in the epistles. He's referenced by Paul. He's referenced by Timothy. He has his own epistles. Peter, one, two, three. And I believe that he's a loyalist. He's a six on the Enneagram. Someone who wants to so desperately be there and be stable and be present and be relied upon to be faithful, but is ridden with fear and anxiety every single day. So if anxiety is kind of a part of your life, uh, maybe you have more anxiety than you even do faith. Listen into the story of Peter. So today in the Gospel of Matthew, we have one of the most iconic stories of Peter. The scripture this morning starts off by saying, immediately after this, and it'd probably be good to know what it's talking about, what happened right before this story. Um, in our world today, we overindulge, right? Uh, an issue for us is, um, is overconsumption of food. But in the ancient world, 2,000 years ago, overeating and obesity were not, were not the things we were concerned about. It was starvation that they were concerned about. And so 90% of the human race at this point in time faced starvation. It didn't matter if you lived in what was modern-day Europe or India or Africa. Um, no matter where you lived, having to think about maybe eating your children, 
a real possibility in the ancient world. People were concerned about that. And so this better put this story in perspective. This amazing thing that Jesus does right before we meet Peter on the boat with Jesus. People are hungry and some of them have been starving. And he takes a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread and he blesses them and he feeds the masses. So when it says right after that, (laughs) or this happened after that, that's what you know happened. He feeds the 5,000 or the masses as a different version says. And they freak out. The people freak out. They're ecstatic about this. All of their problems have been solved. This being one of their core problems. Their problems have been solved. We know who our leader is now. We know who we're following now. They are sure their faith could not have ever been as strong as it was. It is time to make him king. This was Jesus' moment to live into the power and authority that he deserved. This is exciting. And his disciples are like, you've got me. I am in. I am so excited about this mission. You just finally proved to me who you are. I get it for the first time. I get it completely. And they're like, say the magic magic words. And I'm going to lead with you. I'm going to follow you. Let's take over. We're ready. And Jesus does something they didn't expect and they certainly didn't understand. At this moment, Jesus tells the disciples to get out of here, to get back on the boat after this big experience, life-changing, if you were a Pentecostal, acquire the fire moment, like the the big conference where you send all your youth to, it makes them all cry, and then they convert to Jesus all over again. That was that kind of moment on this hillside. Right after that kind of experience, Jesus says, get back on the boat. We're done. Pack up pack up. And they're like, this is so disappointing. This is so deflating. You had me. You had all the faith I could offer you, Jesus. This seems pointless. This seems counterproductive. This seems like three steps back when we were on our way forward. But they get back on the boat. And Jesus goes to the hill to pray. And the disciples on the boat are now in trouble out on the waters of the Sea of Galilee. A strong wind has arisen on the waters. And it says that they were fighting heavy waves on every side. Water is terrifying. It commands our respect and our awe, and it was terrifying for them. And so a strong wave had arisen, and the disciples were fighting the waves, and it's now three o'clock in the morning. And Jesus had fed the 5,000 or the multitudes around dinner time. The disciples have been trying to cross the Sea of Galilee now for hours, and they are exhausted. They're terrified, and they're convinced that they're going to drown. And Jesus, having come down from the hills, starts walking towards them on the water. And the wind and the waves are not a match for Jesus. Jesus doesn't seem startled by them. He's not wrestling with the waves. He's just walking on the water. Where are my fives? I know you're thinking, fives. This is scientifically impossible. Impossible. I have observed this situation. Okay, smarty pants. Take off your pants, I mean, um, (laughs) put your pants, (laughs) put your pants aside, smarty pants. Whoa, that was bad. Don't take off your pants in here, please don't. (laughs) So Jesus starts walking toward them on the water, and it says the disciples were terrified. They were terrified. Oh, how quickly things change. Oh, how quickly things change. They were terrified, and maybe eight hours before They stood amazed, these 12 disciples, and they were willing to give all they had to following Jesus on this mission. 
They were begging Jesus to be a part of it, to take power, to lead the way, to teach them. Hours before, their faith could not have been matched. They were loyal beyond belief, even though they didn't fully understand why Jesus would, wouldn't continue to demonstrate his power. And where is their faith now? Eight hours later, when the winds and waves have risen up against them, Jesus, even right before their eyes, is still demonstrating his majesty and his wonder and his power, walking on water, and their faith has all but dried up. And it says, in their fear, in their fear, and this is where some of us live, right? In our fear, in our anxiety, in your marriage, you're anxious. Raising your kids, you're anxious. At work, you're constantly anxious. When you're on the internet, you're attracted to things that make you more anxious. This is why the 24-hour news cycle exists. Every night, you're going to die. People died today. People might die tomorrow. How are you going to prevent yourself from dying today? News at 11. My dad's always asking me if I've checked the fluids in my car recently because it is his greatest fear that I will break down someday as he coins it on the wrong side of town and I don't even know what that means. I really don't want to know what he means by that. My mom's always asking me if I'm carrying cash with me in case I end up somewhere stranded that doesn't accept credit cards and I can't possibly comprehend what place on earth that is. Chris is always urging me to keep less in my car because having stuff in my car invites people to break in, he, he says. And I'm like, A, we park in a private remote-controlled garage, and B, honestly, if someone wants a basket full of epiphany chalk blessings, some extra offering envelopes, a tailgating tent, and like 10 to-go coffee mugs all half-filled with coffee and maybe, maybe kind of molded. Y'all, you're getting a view into my life. Um, <laughs> then they can have at it. Just go ahead, take my whole car. I'm fine with that. As you can tell, I have very, very little six in me, very little six, and Chris has enough for all of us, so we're good. Seeing Jesus on the water, the disciples were terrified, and Jesus said those three words that sixes should have tattooed on their forearm, don't be afraid. Over 360 times in the Bible, God says these words, don't be afraid. That's almost one time for every day in the year, sixes. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why, Why would God keep saying that? For sixes, you can read don't be afraid as stop freaking out. Don't be afraid. And then Jesus says, take courage. Often we think that courage is something that you have or you don't have, like happiness. You are either happy or you are unhappy, but both courage and happiness take work. They take work. Both courage and happiness are honed in us after a lifetime of seeking after Jesus. Take courage. Why? Jesus says, because I'm here. One of the silliest things we do every week, and we still do it because it's it's tradition and, and it's beautiful, but one of the silliest things we do here every week is something called the invocation. Um, we do it more for ourselves than for God. Uh, it's this, that prayer that we pray right after the songs, right before the children come forward, where we invite God to be a part of what we're doing here today. I think it's silly when you think about it. We don't have to invite God to be here. 
God's already here. What we have to do, though, is invite our brain to join our butts in being here. (laughs) God is here long before Mr. Anthony comes and unlocks the doors. God is here long before Brett battles the demon of technology every morning. Like, you don't have to ask God to join you in the anxiety of your marriage. God's there. You don't have to ask God to join you in the anxiety of child rearing. God's there. You don't have to ask God to to join you in the anxiety you have about your finances. God's already there. What you've got to do is remember that God's there and act accordingly. Don't freak out. Jesus says, I'm here. And this is where we meet our six in the story. At this moment, Peter called out to Jesus. It says, on the water from the boat, Lord, if that is you, seriously, who else would it have been? Sixes. Like, who else? My money would always be on the guy who just fed the multitudes with, like, a Lunchable, right? Like, it's, but, Lord, if that's you, like, if we're at Mount Vernon at some wine festival later this year, and somebody starts walking towards us on the water, on the Potomac, I really hope that people from Kingstown will identify that person as Jesus. Like, I hope that I've prepared you enough to do that. There's a historical precedent for that. So Peter says, if it's really you, Jesus, invite me onto the water too. Oh, loyalist, I'm not so sure I buy into this. I'm tasting a bit of stomach acid from my anxiety right now. This whole thing making me feel a little uncomfortable. But Jesus, if this is you, then I want to be a part of what you're doing. And this is what we're all called to do. You will do the same works as me, and indeed you will do greater things than I have done. And Jesus invites him on the water, and Peter, while everyone else is huddled in the corner of the boat, don't just pay attention to Peter, pay attention to everyone else. He steps out onto the water, and he walks with Jesus on the water. But then it says, when he became aware again of the strong wind and waves, his anxiety rose up in him, and he began to sink. When he was focused on Jesus, he had faith. But when he looks at all the other things that surround him, all the other things pushing on him, pressing on him, he becomes terrified. And this is the MO of the six, the mode of operation of the six. It's easy to have faith in your marriage when you're focused on Jesus, but when you look at that person and you don't like them anymore, you're sinking. It's easy to have faith in your future, in a life with beyond your career and beyond retirement when you're focused on Jesus. But when you look at the paperwork and the finances and the number of days left, and the, it do, you can't do the math, can't figure out how that's going to happen, you're sinking. It's easy to have faith in your legacy when, when, when you're focused on Jesus, but when you look at your kids and whatever this phase is that they're going through, we're sinking. It's easy to have faith if you're a confirmand, but when you get to college, will you be sinking? Where is faith really faith? Faith is always faith when there are winds and there are waves. It's not faith. When the seas are calm, it's not faith when you believe because he's fed the multitudes. It's not faith when you see him walking on water. It's faith when there are wind and waves. When Peter saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified. It said, save me, Lord, he said. Immediately, Jesus reached out and grabbed him and saved him while he was drowning in his anxiety. 
and said, Peter, why do you have such little faith? Why do you have so little faith? Why do you doubt me? Don't you recognize I'm standing right before you? Faith's not faith apart from the wind and the waves. So let's talk about the loyalist. I love me some loyalists. The loyalists reflect God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness and commitment and loyalty to us. Don't you dare critique Peter. There were 12 disciples, and how many got out of the boat? One. Why on earth would Jesus pick a six to be the captain of all these other idiots? Because sixes are loyal to the end. Peter always wants to be faithful. He always wants to be faithful, but he's so afraid and he's anxious, but he's there. He's there. And that's why Jesus turns to Peter and says, your name is Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus picked the person who was scared. Jesus picked the guy who was anxious who immediately began sinking when he stepped out into the wind and the waves. Why? Because building my church is going to require some faith. Loyalists reflect God's faithfulness. Every time you criticize Peter, I want you to ask this. While Peter is screwing up, which he screws up all the time throughout the Bible, while Peter is screwing up, where are the other 11? Keep asking yourself that every time you read a passage about Peter. Where is everybody else? This story is about Peter screwing up again. Where is everybody else? While Peter, on the eve of Jesus' death, the one we all know, is denying Jesus three times, where's everyone else? Not there. Wonder why. Not talked about. Wonder why. The loyalist reflects God's faithfulness. The basic motivation of the loyalist is to be safe and to avoid risk. This is what drives them. This is what motivates them. If you're a six, God has called you to great faith, but you are always going to lean toward fear. When healthy, the loyalist is able to determine the character of other people. If you're a loyalist, you see people better than the rest of us do. I've learned over and over and over again um, about Chris. There is rarely a person that Chris doesn't like. I mean, it is so rare. So, so rare. Um, I've got, you know, all kinds of opinions about everyone. I'm a three. But Chris, there's rarely any, any person that they're gonna have an opinion, he's going to have an opinion about. But if he says something like, I don't know about them, they make me uneasy. I don't feel right. Something's wrong there. Oftentimes, I end up realizing down the road, Chris was right. I shouldn't have put my trust in them. Chris can sniff out like BS in people. He can sniff it out. Like he has this sixth sense for, for something or someone that is fraudulent not real, not authentic. He can sniff it out and he knows. And thank God for that because I love that I just said sixth sense. Six, the sixth sense, that's interesting. Because without the, their, the sixes, sixth sense, I would have I fallen prey to all kinds of frauds by now. I like, I'm the kind of person who gets emails or Facebook messages. Hi, my name is Clark from Kenya and my church could really use your assistance. And I'm like, tell me more, how can I help? And Chris is like, I smell the BS. It stinks up in here. I smell it. It reeks. <laughs> why, should you, why should you listen to, to a six? Because they're reliable. They're loyal. They stick with you. They stick with you through all your junk. They're trustworthy. If Chris lies, it's an accident. If I lie, it's on purpose. <laughs> Loyalists are grounded human beings. With, with very few words, you can tell they are devoted. Chris loves this church. 
And it's Chris who talks me off the ledge when I think it's not growing fast enough or not reaching enough new people or not living up to whatever unrealistic carrot I've dangled in front of my face. It's Chris and the loyalists on my leadership team, which, by the way, makes up half of our leadership team, that say, Michelle, you're nuts. We're here. That's all they have to say. I love sixes. They're loyal and they're here. And even when their anxiety drives me crazy, I know it says nothing about their commitment. It never says anything about their commitment. They're committed. Sixes are great planners. This is why God sent me loads of sixes. (laughs) We're going to plan a church, and it's so exciting, and I'm so passionate. And Let me tell you about the hope of Jesus Christ that is alive in all of us. How are you going to plant this church? No idea. Zero clue how we're going to do this. (laughs) And so I have to take a whole lot of annoying sixes on who are going to tell me how we're going to do this thing. They counter my hope and my optimism with practicality. It's, it's one thing to have a vision. It's another thing to get there, right? And sixes help you get there. Sixes are always planning. While my car is a complete disaster all the time, sixes have like snacks just in case you need them on the road trip and like actual sets of coins in case the easy pass doesn't work and three different kinds of rope in case like you need to haul something or like you need to dispose of a body or something and and then a flat tire repair kit and 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 let's not even talk about what's normally in the pockets or purses of sixes sixes have like those like tin gadget like flip knives. Um, Oh, I I got that. (laughs) They love those little like, um, uh, (laughs) those little like dollhouse sized preparedness kits. So like if you lost a button, let me pull out my dollhouse sized uh, (laughs) sewing kit and I'll sew that button back on. If you, if you cut a finger, we've got, we've got, I definitely have as a six, you know, you've got to have your little first aid kit. Um, They've got Tide pins in case you got a stain on a Sunday morning. If I have a stain on my outfit on Sunday morning, who am I going to ask? I'm going to ask a six if they've got a Tide pin in their car. They're always ordering their life just in case, just in case. Just so you know, I, I do not ever order my life. I don't think I've ever even spoken those words before, just in case. I'm always amazed at what sixes have. If you break down with a six, you are going to be okay. Normally, if you break down with me, you are done. 90% possible it's because I ran out of gas, my phone is dead, I left my credit card at home by my computer, and no, mom, I did not bring any cash with me. <laughs> and it just so happened I was running an errand that morning and went barefooted um, to run that errand and then needed to walk to get gas, and the only pair of shoes I had in the back were high heels, and so I'm in sweats walking down Beulah um, with high heels on. That may or may not have happened. Um, <laughs> When my car starts beeping at me, telling me that I need gas, I say, I will tell you when I need gas. (laughs) And actually, more often than not, I I just say the words, and this is just so idealistic, but I just say the words over and over again. For every every sixes, just in case, mine is, it's okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It'll be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be great. This is what it's like in our house. I'm like, I don't need your gas. I'll be okay. And sixes are always filling their tanks at like half full because they, like, they're so concerned that maybe half full will not mean half full forever. It might mean <laughs> half full might mean empty one day. And, but don't worry, they have like three 
days worth of non-perishable goods to get you through in case there is an emergency, like running out of gas. They're just so prepared and they're just so well-planned. Six's desire to see the world as a safer, ordered place. If you know a six and you post a picture of your son skateboarding on Facebook, the six is going to comment and ask where his helmet is um, or why your kid doesn't have a coat on in the winter and then create a coat drive for that. Um, they desire to see the world as a safer place. When unhealthy, though, when unhealthy, they see only potential risk and danger, only potential risk and danger it's all they can see. They see only the negatives, only the what if this happens, and never the positives, and they're ne they can lose hope for the future, and they can become their own self-fulfilling prophets as they begin to not trust people and systems around them so that they begin to cut off people and systems because it's easier to cut it off it's easier to cut it off. It's more bearable to cut it off than to be later disappointed by it. If you have a six in your life, I urge you, I urge you to thank them for how loyal they are to you. Because if they're missing, you will notice. You'll notice that they're not there. You will notice. And sixes, don't ever lose. Don't ever lose that, that, that sheer devotion. Don't give up on that gift. Because when you are loyal, you are showing us the face of God. Would you pray with me? God who is loyal to us, loyal beyond belief, thank you for the, for the sixes in our midst who, whose faith, faith and loyalty and commitment is, is unmatched. There's nothing that any of us can do to compare to it, but who are constantly in their heads questioning that faith, questioning that loyalty, questioning that trust. God, we all experience anxiety in some way, and the sixes do in spades. And so we ask that you show us how that is not of you. Reveal to us how fear is a liar in our lives, and it's telling us that who we are are a cowering and anxious people when you have called us to deep and overwhelming and abounding courage. Make us courageous in our marriages, Make us courageous when the, when the wind and waves beat against us, when we experience sickness and loss and grief, when we experience the unimaginable. Make us courageous, strengthen our faith so that we may strengthen the faith of others through that just constant loyalty that we exude, which is of you. We pray together that prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I want to believe, no, I choose to believe that I was made to become a sanctuary. Fear won't go away, but I can keep it at bay. These invisible walls 
the most complicated number out of the nine. Not telling you that you're the most complicated people out of the nine. Um, I'm saying it's the most complicated number in that sixes can look so different from person to person, more so than other ones can. Um, and so I'm going to start off next week talking a little bit about that as we talk about the seven. There are counterphobic sixes and there are phobic sixes, and that determines a lot on how you probably heard this, and so there's just so much you can't cover, um, but gave you the basis of it. But here's um, living with a six. I want to say four things to love them. Here's how you love a six. One, never lie to them. You reinforce in them the fear that it already exists, and you tell them that they can't trust. Don't lie to a six. Two, encourage them to get out of their paranoid mindset. Whatever is getting them into that place of anxiety, call them out of it. Call them out of it, tell them it's unrealistic, it's not true. Thank them often for how loyal they are to you. Push them in their life towards that most courageous space. What's that next big step they can make? That big courageous step in life. There is peace at the table of the Lord. There is peace at the table